This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Abner Maraz is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by Abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maraz, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is today. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champion, sports, music, culture, family life, and so much more. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maraz wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English are out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish are out on Wednesdays. What is crackalackin' Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you without my co-host Adam Frommel, but we are pleased, or I am pleased, as usual, to be joined by longtime colleague slash friend slash reoccurring guest slash also longtime friend of this podcast, Bleacher Reports Grant Hughes. As always, remember to follow him on Twitter at GT underscore Hughes. Grant, how are you doing? I'm doing very well under the circumstances, Dan. I'm glad to talk uh, talk with you again. I think it's, uh, I don't know how long it's been, but I always enjoy these, so I'm excited to get to it. I've been bothering you more frequently lately, so it's definitely not as long as it's been as as it has been in the past. So so there's that. We are in off-season mode now, though, although I guess we were there at one point. Like, this is the <laughs> second off-season. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, it's the, it's the off-season off-season, but we also already had the off-season a little bit, and Stuff's going to start ramping up. Like we have the draft. We don't have a scheduled date for free agency, but we know it's going to happen by by December first. And I'm, I, you know, I love the off season stuff, but this off season specifically, and I have to stop myself from saying summer because it's almost freaking November at this point. I'm just, I'm like, I don't know what the word is, confused, or I have zero expectations just because I don't know what is going to happen. Just with the. We figure the salary cap is going to be lateral, but like, how does that impact team spending? And what are they going to do with the luxury tax? Does that mean there's going to be more movement, less movement, more trades, fewer trades? I just have no idea what to expect. And so in a way, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I agree. I think, um, first of all, what did we even talk about during the, the hiatus? Because it felt like there was just, we, did we only talk about the offseason from like March to July when, well, like, I, you I and I did. Out, a, I think you and I did a podcast called "Fuck the Goat Debate." So, like oh, that, right. we, we did. did. We did talk about something like that. <laughs> well, then I guess we should be no, but 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 for the for this off season, I'm glad you said that because I think like it seems like generally going into an off season, there will be a prevailing conventional wisdom, I guess, of oh, this is a good free agent class, or there's X number of high end free agents, or this is a bad free agent class, or you know, we have sort of a, a narrative for it, I think, generally. And this one is just kind of like, I don't think anybody really knows. I mean, other than we all agree the draft is 
confusing and there's not a superstar in it maybe and then free agency is a little barren and especially compared to 21 but I think there's so many like overarching uncertainties with like will teams you know what's what are teams financial situations and how does that affect whether they'll even use the MLE so all these guys we think well that's an MLE guy or that you know he's a taxpayer MLE guy I, like are teams even going to use that because of the tax ramifications and they have less revenue there's just a bunch of sort of unknowns. And so I think that makes this kind of weirdly one of the more interesting off seasons I can remember just because it seems kind of, I don't know, unpredictable, I guess is the word I'd use. Yeah. And look, you, you like sort of alluded to this too, but when you're looking at whether teams are going to use the MLE or not, the fact that you probably have, I would say between 20 to 22 teams that are going to have the same level of spending power in the non-taxpayer MLE and that there's just not a lot of cap space out there, there are going to be guys invariably who sign for much less than we expect. Is that going to invite shorter contracts because they want to get back to free agency quicker? Or are you actually going to be worried about how the coronavirus pandemic really impacts the long-term revenue of this league? And you're like, you know what, let me just lock down my money now, whatever I could get, because 2021 seems like it's going to be better. 2022 seems like it's going to be better. But unless I'm Anthony Davis, is it actually going to be better? Yeah, no, I think I think you hit on one key thing is that there's going to be a lot of like incredible value short term contracts signed this. I was going to say this summer because I can't stop doing that either this offseason just because like there's a finite number of mid-level exceptions that are out there and that number may be much smaller than we think. And so if you're a player that is obviously worth the MLE in a normal year, suddenly those are just going to kind of get, you know, taken up and you might be an MLE player that has to settle for the biannual or the taxpayer or I don't know, minimum even, and maybe an extreme case. It's just, uh, there's going to be some big winners. And my guess would be that it's teams with that are ready to contend right now, because all things being equal, you're probably going to want to take your mid-level or whatever from a team that has a a decent size role for you and is going to win a bunch of games. But uh, but I don't know. I, that's just that's just kind of my gut. Yeah, I mean the 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 last thing I'll say this is like the progression I've had is wondering like how much more than the mid level Paul Millsap is going to get to thinking like <laughs> is he going to end up signing for the biannual like not even the mini MLE at this point but the biannual. Uh, so I, like you said, it's it's just going to be wild and, and interesting. So speaking of that word, we're going to get to what our most interesting teams are for the off season. We selected them blindly, so there might be overlap, but we each have. We each have pivots. We each selected five. There might be some quick hitters if we if we have a ton of overlap. Before we get to them, though, I wanted to ask about Zach Lowe had said on his podcast with Bill Simmons that to keep an eye on the Milwaukee Bucks and the Victor Oladipo sweepstakes. And I've kind of been operating under the assumption that the Pacers won't trade Oladipo just because I feel like I don't I don't I feel like he's not worth that much right now. And you probably you have a better chance of rehabilitating his value leading into the trade deadline. At the same time, I'm sort of curious like how you feel about a potential Bucks play going after that type of player, because if you can buy like low on someone of his caliber, it seems to make sense for the Bucks. Then again, at the same time, like you're probably looking at giving up Dante DiVincenzo, at least one future first round pick, in addition to the Eric Bledsoe. And I'd assume that unless Indiana really likes him, that he's probably going somewhere else. And like maybe Atlanta's willing to give up like a low end first to send to Indiana for someone like him to take him into their cap space. And that's why he's more accessible than a Drew Holiday. But knowing what's kind of happened with Oladipo over the past two years, if you're the Bucks, like, is that the guy? Like, I know you're under pressure because of 
um, Giannis's upcoming free agency and, and you want to know whether he's going to sign the Supermax or not. And then if he doesn't, you have a whole year of speculation. But is Oladipo the guy to unload your asset clip, which relative to other teams is not very deep. But like we're still talking about if you have to give up a distant first round pick uh, that could you know it go past the, the Giannis years with you, like that's obviously not nothing. And so I find myself like, both, I've, I'm basically morbidly curious about the Oladipo to Milwaukee chatter. So a couple things. I think I think that for the reasons you you mentioned about not wanting to give up, you know, firsts way down the line, or really just potentially post Giannis. Um, in addition to just not having a bunch of like Bledsoe's the salary that's just got to go in any. How do we make the Bucks better? You know, transaction. Right. Um, and like, I just don't know who is going to say to themselves, you know, you know, who really, you know, makes us significantly better is, is Eric Bledsoe. Like, I just, that's just not, you know, he's a fine player, but it's just, it's just not that enticing. Um, but as to Oladipo specifically, I'm not sure he's not, he's not the guy. Um, but I think he's a guy and he might be among the best guys that the Bucks can realistically hope to get with what they have. Um, but it's sort of like which version of Oladipo, if it's like 17, 18 Oladipo, we're not even having this conversation, obviously, because he's not on the table and the Pacers have already extended him or, you know, they'll do that at their earliest opportunity, but he does kind of make some sense, right? Like he, 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 I think if healthy is on Bledsoe's level defensively, he might be even more useful, um, because he's a little longer, I think. He seems duplicative because when he was really good with Indiana a couple of years ago, he was just kind of like, well, he has the ball uh, in the middle of the floor, 30 feet from the basket and can just beat his guy downhill, which is what Giannis does in their system. So I'm not sure how that works, but he can run a pick and roll. His, his per play efficiency was really good in the 80 something percentile as a ball handler a couple of years ago in, in his, in his kind of breakout season. Spot up shooting is fine, which you're going to need on the Bucks, 39%, I think, uh, in 17-18. But what percentage of that guy is he? I don't know. Um, but if you're telling me it's I'm, – I'm rolling the dice on Oladipo, who might not be any good anymore and might probably will just be gone after this year, I'm kind of more interested in that than Bledsoe and DiVincenzo, honestly, because um, they are under pressure, the Bucks are. And Oladipo, even if he – isn't what you know he could be even if he falls short of that i think the other thing you look at is you can go to Giannis and say like hey we got you we got you an all-star like this guy this was the best we could do um and i do think there's value in that um but but yeah i don't know if he's the guy i guess but i just don't know like is there someone is your who's your guy like if you are the bucks and it's not oladipo is there someone out there that just is like well this is the fix this is what is gonna get us what we need if, if we're trying to keep it semi-realistic, because you could say Bradley Beal easily, but I don't think the path to them getting better would be to give up Chris Middleton in any trade, uh, just on mm-hmm. balance for them. I mm-hmm. think it would be Drew Holiday. And I don't know if using Bledsoe, let's say the 24 pick, and then DiVincenzo, like, does that get it done? And like the asset that I keep coming back to is their 2024 first-round pick. And I've had this conversation with a bunch of people, probably including you, there are certain teams where it feels like these distant first round picks are so valuable. And yet I I don't know that front offices think in those terms because they look at it as, well, we might not be the people using that pick. And so how value, you know, in a vacuum, a 2024 bucks pick, if it's loosely protected 
knowing that could be post Giannis, hyper valuable. But if you're yeah. a front office, can you guarantee you're going to be in place you know, four drafts from now? I don't. Maybe Kevin Pritchard in Indiana believes that he will be. Um, so, I, but aside from like that type of situation, I don't know how many front offices would be inclined to really value that for a pick that's not going to convey for so long unless they think they they could immediately flip it. And so I don't know if your package is, and look, there could be third teams involved, but I keep coming back to Atlanta as a spot for Bledsoe. And that's if they don't want to spend their, their cap space, he just seems like a good fit beside Trey young. But aside from getting like a real, like you're not going to get one of their young wings for Bledsoe, maybe Kevin Herter, but I would still say no there. You might get like uh, a lower end first round pick. They have that OKC lottery protected 2022 pick. Like maybe that's the pick they give up. That's the maximum you're getting for Bledsoe, but just some permutation of Bledsoe this year's first after you use it, obviously. And then Dante DiVincenzo, is that enough to get you a Drew Holiday? Is he the guy that gets you over the hump? Is that put you in play for, for anyone else? Like, I don't even, you could say that a Karis Levert or Spencer Dinwiddie makes a ton of sense for this team, but that package doesn't make a ton of sense for Brooklyn, a team that's also trying to win now. Yeah. I think, um, the Bucks are just such a, I mean, I don't envy that position, which is crazy to say about a team that has a, a two-time MVP, but their their paths to getting better just aren't that real. Like, I think I agree that Holiday would be great. Like, he might, be, you know, you ask who the guy, if Oladipo's the guy, Holiday might be the guy. The problem is I think Holiday is the guy for, like, five other teams at least. And I, and I think that New Orleans actually has a pretty good case to just want to keep him i i know i i'm i personally have argued several times well you think about the timeline not matching up and you know they're built around ingram and zion and you know holidays 30 and there's just it doesn't make sense they got to trade him but like if they do trade him they're going to have a bunch of suitors i think um you, you basically any team that has bad salary and picks i think is just going to be involved and um obviously holiday to me is a better value and a better player than oladipo right now um, I think maybe like if the Bucks did get Oladipo, it might be because the market just isn't that great for him. And and that's as good as Indiana can do. Right. And they don't want to wait like to the, to the trade deadline and look to the, to the Bucks's credit in that situation, like, he's an expiring contract. And so if you're getting off Bledsoe's money in the process, like you could just kind of look at it. sell it to Giannis is not only do we get you a guy who profiles as an all-star if he's healthy, but now we might just have some flexibility moving forward. Even if we don't have the assets, the only other name that I can really think of for them would be they seem like a team where Zach Levine would be perfect. Like just helicopter him into that number three spot. Um, you could have him like cut, you could have him shoot catch and shoot jumpers, but he also gives you that extra layer of postseason shot creation because those are the shots that he's making with the Bulls almost exclusively right now. Yeah, and if you can hide, you know, you need to hide him defensively too. And I think the Bucks are about as good a place as anywhere to do that. I, I keep coming back to I, I think for me, what I hope is that the Bucks don't play offense the same way going forward. Um, and that, to me, means you need a guy who's going to be a, like a primary pick-and-roll ball handler that is, you know, orders of magnitude better at it than Bledsoe um, and is a threat to, you know, shoot when guys go under or don't stay glued, you know, coming over the top. The problem is, like, man, that guy's hard to find because everybody wants that guy because that is, like, your number one option on most good NBA offenses. Um, but because... If you just kind of slot in like another, you know, not I think Levine is a fine option, uh, but he's not going to turn Giannis into, you know, a permanent, the best role man in the league, which I think he has the potential to be. 
um, which is probably to me how the Bucks should play. This is me, by the way, saying I know more about how Milwaukee should play than Mike Budenholzer, which is ridiculous. But, but just as a spectator, that's what I want. And I think that that again, the Bucks were not one of my most interesting teams, or one that I intended to talk about. But um, and and but like if they were able to get a guy that could sort of revamp how they play, Chris Paul is obviously someone that got mentioned initially, but it seems like there's no way that would happen. Um, that would make them which is, even more. Which is bullshit, because that seems like a money thing for them. I'm not saying that... Uh, I know people have mentioned that they can include George Hill and Brooke Lopez in prospective deals. My whole thing is, like, Chris Paul is really good, but, like, you don't want to end up trading, th- like, three to four rotation players for him, because, like, that you still come out... You know, maybe your team's a little bit better, but they're definitely more susceptible to, to one injury. And so it's... What can you do to sweeten? I call it the poo poo platter package of Bledsoe, Ilyasova, Lopez, assuming he picks up his player option, and DJ Wilson. Like, that's the money you need for Chris Paul. Does it take anything else to get him? Um, because Bledsoe is on the books for another, uh, like 2.5 years since the final year of his contract is only partially guaranteed. I, I don't know, but like, that's the package I would be. You know, you talk about the guy, the, the guy you just described is Chris Paul. Uh, what can you attach to that package? Does number 24 do it? Is that too much? Um, is Dante DiVincenzo too much for you? I don't think either asset would be a deal breaker for me. Um, both of them together uh, definitely might be for me. Definitely might be. There's a there's a turn of phrase for you. Uh, but like that should be with Giannis approaching free agency. These you know the team governors claiming like yeah we'll pay we'll pay the tax if we have to. But like you let Malcolm Brogdon go, and I know people thought that was made too much of in the moment, but it's been proven that he wasn't just a luxury for them. And so if you have a chance to get Chris Paul and it's not costing you more than um, that poo-poo platter package, then one like sort of minor asset, I'm not trading my 2024 pick for Chris Paul. Uh, I- I'm doing it. Like, and that should be the, re- I think the reporting from the athletic is saying the, the bucks aren't interested in that because of the the money, but like you have a chance to add someone who was second team all NBA last year and who probably only gets better when you project him onto the Eastern Conference, um, that's absolutely wild to me that it would be something you wouldn't do. But of course, money obviously matters, even though in this case it really shouldn't. You know, this is a sort of a tangent, but every time, so I've been having a really hard time evaluating what Chris Paul's value is because he did have such a good year and he does sort of seem like a fix for like anyone that needs offensive stewardship and just general like, you know, control. Um, but I don't know if, I, I, I swear I see packages of, well, it's going to cost you picks to get off of Chris Paul. Or no, actually, it's going to cost the other team picks because that's what OKC wants, and that's a plausible trade. I just I, I don't under, I don't know what his value is, but what it makes me think all the time is why aren't all the teams that you see linked in rumors to Chris Paul just kicking down the Raptors' door for Kyle Lowry instead? Because that's, a one, that's an expiring deal, and it may just be because Toronto's like, no, he's going to retire here, and then he, we're going to build a statue. But um, <laughs> to me... Lowry might be the guy for the Bucks as I think about more because there's a guy like there's your guy who's just going to kind of you know when things start to look a little dicey in the second round again next year and the here we go again talk starts Lowry is the guy that's going to say no 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 like here's how it's going to go and he's going to fix it um I just he shouldn't cost as much as Paul to get just because he's a rental um but again, I, I admit I don't know what Paul's value should be, but I just think Lowry should be talked about a little more because he kind of fixes everything for almost any team he goes to. Well, I think the two things there is that he probably does cost you more in my mind because he's quote-unquote a rental or at least an expiring contract, where with Chris Paul, 
it's like you have two years and $85.6 million that you have to pay him. And so like, that's a, to pay him $44.2 million in the final year of that deal. Like that's a ton of money. And the other thing here is that Toronto for now, like maybe Lowry becomes the guy for a lot of teams or more gettable if they're not trying to win, but they just came within one victory of the Eastern conference finals. And it's like, why would they move him right now? In my mind, he's an expiring contract. He's not harshing their flexibility. They're not going to tank next year, no matter what they're due, or at least I don't think they will. Um, if they end up losing Fred Van Fleet, Abaca and Gasol in, in free agency, and they don't want to sign anyone else with resulting cap space or whatever, then yeah, I totally get it. But Chris Paul plays for a team that doesn't seem to be tracking with his timeline anymore. And that plus the extra year, I think just makes him eminently more available. And then cheaper by extension. And I'm with you. I don't really know what his value is. We've definitely moved past, I believe, that they have to attach something um, to Chris Paul to get rid of him. And it's also just in hindsight weird that that was ever really a thing, knowing how good he was this year. However, it's like, are they actually going to get even like a semi-good young player or a low-end pick for him when he's owed that much money? Or if they can just get some cheaper contracts, most of them expiring, like that's the package you just pull the trigger on. Yeah, I just don't know. I don't know. It just made me think of Lowry. And and obviously the answer to why isn't Lowry coming up more is because he is really good and a really huge value on that contract still. So that, that makes, I think you, you answered my question. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving. And that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to, to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Talk about a tangent. We can get into our most interesting teams this offseason now. There was no criteria for this. It's just for whatever reason, we find them intriguing. And so as the guest extraordinaire, who is your first team? I think it's pretty predictable um, because so this I picked the Warriors um, and that's because to me, obviously, it's rare to have a, a theoretical contender picking second in a draft and having all these all this, you know, injury related comeback unknown stuff. They got to fill out a roster. They got these weird uh, you know, they have the Andrew Wiggins contract. They have that 17.2 million traded player exception. They have Minnesota's top three protected 2021 first. They have all these, uh, I don't know what I call them options, but they've got these tools to really theoretically change the roster. And they're different than most of these other teams because the clock is sort of ticking like that, that TPE goes away, right? They mm -hmm. have, you know, use it or lose it. And the draft is another sort of time constraint is if you're going to move this number two pick, you time clocks ticking on that too. So they are the ones I think that have sort of maximum urgency time-wise and certainly because their core uh, is on the absolute back, back end, I think uh, of, of their primes. So there's urgency there too. So to me, 
um, the, for all the reasons I've, and all the things I just mentioned in kind of a, you know, dump it all out at once manner. Um, I think they're my most interesting off season team. And I have absolutely no idea what they're going to do with any of those tools. I like, there's a million guys they could go after with the TPE. There's a bunch of options with that number two pick, whether they use it or not. Um, so they're just kind of fascinating to me. I don't know which way you want to take it. Do you want to let, do you want to do the TPE first and talk about that? Cause it is kind of related to that second pick. They're probably gonna have to package those. Right. Uh, or they're going to have to like do trade the TPE for a, or I say trade the TPE, but take like a James Johnson into the TPE so that they could acquire a more expensive player with James Johnson than they would have with the, the TPE, which is going to be more stringent. I think so. I, I'm, I, I'm with you. I have the Warriors on my list too because they have so many moving parts. And the traded player exception is a good place to start because I think these traded player exceptions are normally overvalued because teams don't. Yes, players get sent into traded um, these TPEs all the time, but like it's part of these like staggered deals where there's like other moving parts. It's very rarely do you just get a good player um, in it for TPE. Maybe that's the summer where this, uh, the off season, excuse me, where this changes because so many teams are hard up after the. Uh, the gate revenue losses or because they have that second pick, like it's just a, such a convenient package. It's you don't really have to give regard for salary. If you see a player you like um, there's the, the TPE and that pick and like, that's the deal. Or you can turn again, the TPE into like an expensive expiring contract and use that as the, the framework. Like one example would be like number two and James Johnson for Aaron Gordon. Like let's say the Warriors get um, James Johnson for the TPE or even you can use Gorky Jang from Memphis, and they send that expiring contract to Orlando with the number two pick for Aaron Gordon. Uh, people that I've mentioned this to think that that's an overpay for Aaron Gordon, the number two pick. So maybe Orlando gives you, what do they have, number 15 in the right. draft? So maybe they give you that back as well. But like those types of deals, like they seem like they they just seem – they're they're more possible now. Like this TP means something, again, under the circumstances, but also because the Warriors have that pick to attach. Right, and I think – it, it is, it's a weird situation, right? Because so my pre, I think, I think the, the smart move, and maybe this is just me being kind of risk averse is I would want to use that number two pick. I know, I know nobody thinks it, and it'd probably be on James Wiseman who like, I can't remember the last prospect that might go second that we knew less about. Um, but, but like, I, I like the idea of let's get this guy who's maybe a bridge to the next era um, we're going to need a center because a Nikola Jokic cannot be guarded by Draymond Green in a playoff series the whole time. Um, Kevon Looney can play 20 minutes a night, maybe. So you need a big guy, which is kind of fun to me now. Like the NBA is, is I guess the big guy's not totally dead. If you have Anthony Davis and Jokic and to a much lesser extent, Zubox in the same conference that you're trying to get through. Um, <laughs> but if you do use that number two pick, then I don't know why anybody wants anything to do with that TPE. Um, you know, if you, if you use it to get James Johnson, what are you sent? Are you, what are you sending to Minnesota for James Johnson or whatever, you know, the expiring salary of your choice? Johnson's one of the best, but, um, are you sending a future second? Or are you like, I just, something I don't small, know. if anything, because I think that's like a money saving move, but uh, who wants to do the warriors a favor is the other thing. Well, that's, uh, that's definitely a fair question. So, so it gets really complicated if you aren't viewing the TPE and that second pick as a package. Because then, like you said, then you're talking, and that's what's rare about this one is is normally it is that situation of like, well, what do we want this? We don't want to give you this expiring salary for like a future second. What? Who, why do we want to do that? We'll trade him for a first rounder at the deadline or something. You know, that's how it used to be anyway. Um, so I just I don't know. I I think um, 
the Aaron Gordon thing, he's literally the first guy on my list of TPE options just because I think he's come up the most often and, and not just in relation to this. I feel like the Warriors have always been linked to him. But there's a bunch of other, you know, not necessarily needle-moving type of options unless you think the Celtics for some reason would move Marcus Smart or you could do the James Johnson roundabout thing and try to go get Miles Turner, which is super pie in the sky. Um, I, I just, uh, I don't know. Gordon seems like the guy to me, but, but I don't, you know, Kelly Oubre, maybe you swap picks with the Suns and you do Oubre for the TPE, which I don't think you'd have to, maybe you would have to do the, the preliminary trade to do that. I forget exactly what Oubre is. No, Oubre is at 14.4. So yeah, so you're, you're good. Um, but like, if that's the Warriors big off season move, man, that's not enough. Um, and that's kind of gets into the next thing of, can you get anything for Wiggins? And then you're packaging, you have to be talking about package, packaging Wiggins and the, the Wolves 2021. Right. Um, is that getting you Beal? I kind of doubt it. Um, maybe. I, I don't know. With a bunch of other stuff thrown in, is that getting you Holiday? I think that's a little closer. Um, but the other thing is, well, maybe let's leave it at that. Are, are you, what, what are your thoughts on Wiggins as a trade piece and, and that other pick, which I think is, to me is significantly more valuable than this year's number two. So I think I had you on for the trade deadline grades and I crapped all over the Warriors making the Wiggins deal. I may have come around on it a little bit where if it's framed as what is getting you further in trade offers right now, D'Angelo Russell and number two pick, or if you have Andrew Wiggins, the number two pick and that Minnesota pick, I think it's the latter is going to net you more. So I'm not sure where I, I land on Andrew Wiggins as a trade asset specifically, other than the fact that him plus those two other picks is more intriguing to me than D'Angelo Russell plus the number two pick. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I wish I could remember what I said. That sounds like something I might've said <laughs> at, the, at the time, but I don't remember. Um, it was a lot I, harder I, to view at the time because we didn't know where the Warriors were going to end up in the right. lottery. And so that changes things a little bit, but, uh, I, I just having that Minnesota pick ends up being a big deal because I don't think they're going to be great next year when you just look at the landscape of the Western Conference. And I run counter to you though before I, I let you carry on with what you were going to say is I don't want them to use this pick because unless you think Anthony Edwards um, is the guy to bridge you into the future, I don't like the other two options there. You know, you mentioned James Wiseman. A lot of people are high on him, but everyone except for Zubots that you named when talking about bigs who are back, James Wiseman doesn't profile as someone who could defend any of them which is a problem for me. Um, and then well, nobody does though, is the thing. And right. But I don't think on the current Aaron roster. Gordon is going to give you a better chance against Anthony Davis long-term than James Wiseman would be just my counter. Like you have Draymond green and Aaron Gordon, I think are two guys that you can throw at Anthony Davis and feel pretty good about it immediately. And so if you're looking at contending with the Lakers, like that's something you have to consider. And I'm not saying that Gordon definitely needs to be worth the number two pick. I think in this draft, I'm not a LaMelo guy either, so I would probably do it for an expiring contract and, and number two from Golden State. Definitely would do it if you can get number 15 from Orlando as part of that deal as well. I'm just not high on this draft. And like, even if you are a believer that LaMelo can be the bridge into the future, I don't really see how you set him up to do that on this roster when it was so difficult for you to make it work with D'Angelo Russell when you didn't even really have Steph available. And like now you're going to have Steph available and you're going to have someone who's just worse than D'Angelo Russell because he's a rookie. So, um, and he's certainly more erratic than D'Angelo Russell is. Uh, again, just be looking at this stage of, of his career. So if Anthony Edwards is there, and you really want him like then maybe I consider keeping it. But just looking at the other options, if you really want to use 
this caliber of pick, I'm sort of looking at trading down. Like, is Charlotte going to give you, I don't think they'll give you Devontae Graham to move up one spot, but would they give you Miles Bridges? Uh, like, you know, do you want to do something with Terry Rozier there, like where there's another stepladder scenario where it's James Johnson um, and number two for Terry Rozier and number three? Like, maybe that's something I would would consider. But I, I'm against the Warriors using the number two pick unless, unless Anthony Edwards is there and they believe he's the guy. Yeah, see, I think I should I should be clear. I, I don't think I, I don't think I don't want any part of Ball or Edwards on on this Warriors team particularly. Um, but and Wiseman obviously, like anytime I talk about Wiseman, I'm sort of thinking of him as if he's going to hit the you know 90th percentile of his you know potential spectrum uh, potential outcomes. Like the 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 version of Wiseman that is actually incredibly nimble for his size and is just a nuclear athlete. I think that's pretty well accepted that he is just an incredible like size, speed, strength, bounce combination, a guy, um, like the guy, you know, if he's that, if he's, if he's just the one of the five best athletes at the position in the league, then I do think he is kind of your, not your answer, but he gives you a fighting chance against some of the bigger guys in the West. Um, but to your point, I think trading down or if they do trade this pick, it's kind of sneakily really important for them to get, you know, it doesn't really matter so much where it is, but something in the, you know, if it's not Charlotte, say like, you know, six to 15 or something, because there are kind of a lot of guys that profile as three and D role players. And, you know, quietly, the Warriors don't really have a lot of those. And they need need Wiggins to be that guy. Right. Clay Thompson with a fair amount of question marks uh, with a major injury. And Wiggins is like alarmingly important to to the team because he theoretically could be the defensive end of that. I don't know how, you know, that's the role he's in. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. But if they can trade down and get one of those, you know, any number of uh, Devin Vassell or like Patrick Williams or uh, uh, probably a would be gone, but um, depending on how far they traded down, but it, that's like, that's huge for them because that guy's probably going to play or, you know, you hope he can play because they're just so thin at that position. Right. And so maybe I'm underselling James Wiseman's switchability just off the based off the preliminary stuff I've seen of him. There's definitely like the movement there. I would question like, is his offensive range ever going to develop? I'm just so hesitant to even use such a top pick on a big right now. Maybe this draft class kind of justifies it, but I'm I'm team move the pick, like move it in some form. And you mentioned it like, you know, uh, if you wanted to, I would say if you want to take a swing on one of those three and D guys at number two, like if you're that gutsy, then maybe I might even support that more than just defaulting to Anthony Edwards, Lamel Ball, James Wiseman, or who's ever there. So it's such a complicated situation. But then the flip side of this is how are other teams valuing? the number two pick, which is why I'm going to throw some trade scenarios at you. And I want to see what you think of them. Okay. Are you ready? Are you bracing? I'm ready. I'm excited. All right. So you mentioned miles Turner already. If you can do miles Turner and an expiring contract for number two, who's saying no to that. So the warriors are getting Turner and, and what that's it. They're getting Turner for number two. They're getting Turner for number two, and then they would have to, like, let's say they, they oh, turn the TPE. TPE the quote-unquote TPE. Got yeah. it. Yeah. I do that in a heartbeat if I'm the Warriors. I don't, the I, don't, I don't think twice. Would the Pacers consider that? I don't think so. I mean, I think, to me, like, Turner is a way for you to try to go. I, I think I might be, maybe you're with me. I don't know. I feel like Turner is super valuable. 
Um, and that may be more just about thinking about him in theory than, you know, his production, which hasn't been super great, but a guy that can block shots and, and I think, you know, the volume hasn't really been there, but can spread the floor and shoot threes. There just aren't a lot of those guys. And I think, especially with Draymond Green playing the four, you could, you, your five's got to be able to space. Like that's just, that's just how it's going to have to work if the Warriors are going to be any good. Um, I'm not sure. So if you're indie, you're doing that to take either Ball or Edwards, whoever's still there after Minnesota picks. So you're sort of trading Turner for uh, theoretically your your lead guard of the future, right? Uh, and I mean, they could turn around and send it elsewhere. But like, they're also a team that's done a pretty good job of straddling the the present with the future. Like, I could see yeah. that. Like, you would still, I think, with Brogdon there, still having Sabonis, like you can have that like make that deal and still be a playoff team in the Eastern conference. And you might be able to talk yourself into saying, well, one, maybe Gogo Bataze can give you more minutes next year, or can we approximate at least, you know, part of Turner's offense and defense for a lot cheaper on the free agency market. And I'm not saying that you could, but like what happens if you, you know, you go out and you get like a, does does the mid-level get you Serge Ibaka this year? Does it get you, yeah. um, you know, can you even Chris Boucher, like in theory, just a shot blocking machine who is showing he can space the floor. A little bit. My other scenario that I was going to throw at you, though, would be like the, I don't know if it would constitute a Pacers reset because of how good they've been with whatever wings come into their system, but the money would be, and this works, it's Andrew Wiggins, number two, the Minnesota pick, and I think Jordan Poole, uh, Kevon Looney has to be in there. So Kevon Looney, Andrew Wiggins, number two, the Minnesota pick for Oladipo and Miles Turner. Ooh. You know... I'm doing that if I'm the Warriors, uh, just because I think Turner is so important and such a fit. And I think that, uh, am I doing that? That's a good trade if I'm having to ask that question more than once. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Are we sure Indiana wants to do that? That, So that was my thing. Andrew Wiggins has three years and $94.8 million left on his deal. I think this package becomes a lot more palatable if you have no intention of paying Victor Oladipo the money he wants. I'm not saying Andrew Wiggins replaces him but you look at how wings have just outperformed expectations um on both ends of the floor since going to Indy like you look at what TJ Warren did last year you look at what Boyan Bogdanovich did there even Justin Holiday like turning into this guy who can guard backup fours if you're confident in your program and I know you have a new head coach now and maybe that sort of factors into to that equation where you maybe don't know how scalable that um system th- those principles are with having Nate, I'm going to butcher this, but Bajorkrin like there, that's a concern. So Andrew Wiggins being like this net minus of a contract, like certainly hurts you there. Uh, I would, you know, you could throw in Golden State's own pick next year as well. Like depending on when you're timing this trade, like you could go uh, the number two pick, Golden State's pick next year and the Minnesota pick. And then for Turner and Oladipo with Wiggins and, and Kevon Looney, like maybe that's something that's more palatable, but it's tough for me to escape the feeling that that still kind of feels like a reset for Indy because where does like your core is then Sabonis, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, TJ Warren, Andrew Wiggins. And then like you have those picks, it's like, where does that really put you in the East? I think too, Indiana is, is one of the most historically tax averse teams in the league. And if you, not that they'd be in it, but having Wiggins on your roster just makes everything harder. You know, just right. having that having that salary. I, I think, but like, look, so you still have Sabonis, you you have Brogdon, you have whoever you take it to. 
And you got, I, I, I'm with you. I think that Minnesota pick could potentially be huge. Well, it might be too valuable because it might be top three and the protections might, you know, might keep it from you. Um, but I actually forget if that converts or what it converts into. I, I think it might, well, I don't know. I don't want to speak on it if I'm not sure. Um, we can look it up in a second. But uh, I don't know. To me, Indy says no, um, which is kind of nuts thinking you get a number two and a potentially super valuable first the next year. But um, yeah, I don't know. For the, from the Warriors' perspective, I mean, that solves a lot of problems. Um, it makes them a lot deeper. It gives them another defensive wing if Oladipo is, is healthy and, and Turner, again, is just like a perfect fit. So yeah, I like that. I, th- I think I like that too. Would you do, um, it's basically, so Andrew Wiggins and Kevon Looney and number two plus the Minnesota pick for Drew Holiday and J.J. Redick. <sighs> that feels like, I don't know why it feels like too much for those two guys, but not too much for Oladipo and Turner. Well, so the thing for me would be that Drew Holiday is probably going to be a free agent in 2021, and then J.J. Redick is expiring. Yeah. And so it's like, yes, you're getting off the Wiggins contract, but to use your two best trade chips on guys who are going to be entering free agency, it feels like risky for that. And so I'm wondering, like, okay, what if they were willing to move Josh Hart in that deal? Or... Can you get that, like, if you remove the number, like, what's more important in New Orleans, the number two pick or that Minnesota pick? Like, can you get just Holiday for one of those picks and Andrew Wiggins? Like, let's remove all under Andrew Wiggins. Let's remove all other moving parts. Uh, if it's one of those picks and Andrew Wiggins for Drew Holiday, and there, I think there would have to be other money involved just because uh, Andrew Wiggins makes so much money. Um, yeah. No, that would actually work out. It's pretty Tor- close, though. Holiday's, Holiday's close enough, I think. Uh, yeah, but the Warriors would be saving money in that deal. So I'm assuming they'd have to take something back from New Orleans, but New Orleans isn't really close to the tax. They don't really have – they're not just going to throw in Josh Hart to to save money. Maybe it's – like uh, they probably still like Nicole O'Malley. So like, that would work as a straight-up, just holiday for one of those picks and Andrew Wiggins. I question then whether that's enough for New Orleans just because holiday's so good. Yes, he's expiring, but that's almost preferable to having three years of Andrew Wiggins at ninety four point seven million. Well, a lot of things are preferable to that. <laughs> like you, you know, New Orleans wasn't one of my teams, um, but they're really interesting because the answer. So the the question you have to ask when thinking about that kind of trade is where does New Orleans think it is? You know, in terms of its growth trajectory, and and I mean, obviously that affects any holiday trade because if they think they're ready now, you know, if they think that late season run, you know, forget the bubble because that didn't go well. But um, if they think they're kind of ready to maybe be the fifth or sixth seed in the West, which is a pretty big ask, to, you know, based on how much better the West stands to be next year, mm-hmm. um, then I don't know. I think that really they're sort of uh, where they view themselves in their development, I think, matters. And like, look, I, this is a little bit hot takey, but to me, I'm pretty sure Zion Williamson's best years are going to come before he's 25. Um, and I think after that, maybe you're in trouble. So the, where, their window, the, the sort of the, the location of their window might not be exactly where the age of their best players suggests it is, because I just don't have a lot of confidence that Zion's going to be a good late 20s player. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that speaks to just let's hang on to holiday and let's see what we got. But the other, it's interesting. You mentioned both of those teams, Indy and new Orleans, because I think half the time I'm looking at trades that, that I like from both sides. It almost always involves Turner going to the Pelicans and holiday going back to Indiana. Cause I want a holiday reunion. Number one. Yeah. That but needs to also, happen. 
Yeah, I mean, they got to resign Justin too, um, but but also because I think Turner makes a lot of sense next to Zion. Yeah, he makes a ton of sense there. I mean, really, any stretch big just makes so much sense next to Zion. Yeah, they should make a play for Ibaka too. Come to think of it. Yeah, he would be good. Um, I guess even if you want to go smaller, like Millsap would work there at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, just I, I've even said like Chris Boucher and Zion Williams would be interesting to me. Chris Boucher is like. You love Chris Yeah, like he's up there for me. <laughs> the wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager on than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins division odds, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Two more ones that are quick. We've already mentioned one of them. So if it was Aaron Gordon in number 15 for number two and then Again, the TPE in quotes, like we're saying you're acquiring yeah. another expiring contract that you just moved with the number two pick. Are you doing that? You know, which of those two teams is saying no, if if either of them? I think New, I th- New Orleans. I think Orlando does that. Um, if I'm the Warriors, like my, my knee-jerk reaction is that's not enough. But I actually think that might be about as well as they can do realistically. Um, so I think I think that to me, like if you made me pick, okay, if you told me the Warriors are trading this pick, and the TPE, what is the most likely outcome? I think it's probably Gordon. Um, and that's not based on, that's just it just has the feel of, I think that makes sense from both sides. And it's sort of disappointing, I think, from the Warriors' perspective, because I suspect they're, they have bigger ambitions than that. Um, but I, th- I, think, I think both would do that. And I think, you know, when the dust settles, that might just be sort of as well as they can do. Would you do, does this make it more attractive or less? Andrew Wiggins and number two for Gordon and Terrence Ross. And I'm not sure if number 15 would still be involved in that. Mm, I think that makes, I don't know. I don't know. That's weird. Am I about to say that? Like, I don't want to lose Wiggins for Ross. Um, So it's, (laughs) that's an interesting trade. So it's Wiggins and two for Gordon and Ross basically. And you're not getting a pick back. I mean, they could, in theory, give up number 15, but now I'm looking at it from Orlando's perspective of, like, well, they are paying Wiggins' contract. Right, yeah. Orlando's not going to be like, we're sorry, you're not getting this pick. I don't know. I don't think Orlando does that. If I was Orlando, I would do that in a heartbeat. I'm not going to lie. Really? You want Wiggins on your books? Why? Like, you're you're fast-tracked to nowhere anyway right now. Well, Wiggins is like the conductor of the fast-track train to nowhere. Like, <laughs> like But it almost kind of forces own. you where it's like, all right, so let Evan Fournier like, age out of now. Like, don't – either he opts in and then you just let him leave the following year or he opts he opts out and you can let him leave now. So it's like, like after this season, there's all of a sudden only two more years left on Andrew Wiggins' deal. And, like, in theory, Andrew Wiggins is like the wing that they've just never really had, like someone who's going to put a ton of pressure – on defenses and he could in theory work well with Vooch. Uh, I would at least consider it. I don't think it's a hard no for me because uh, Aaron Gordon, I, 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 people like think he's not on a value contract. I think I'm higher on him. The consensus at this point, which is just bizarre, but you have Ross. Yes. is on a declining scale, but he's at above MLE money through 22, 23. If you have a chance to get number two, where that's going to bring you a LaMelo ball 
Or I guess the problem would be if it's Wiseman that you have at number two, like they don't with Vucevic and uh, you have Mobamba, you have Kem Birch there, like it, and even with Jonathan Isaac, once he's healthy, um, maybe that really sort of drums down the the interest a ton for Orlando. But I don't think it should be a hard no because I feel like they need to do something seismic that kind of points them towards the future and eating Andrew Wiggins's deal to get the number two pick and then maybe give up two guys who don't factor in to that long term future. I, I would think it's at least like playable maybe it's can you get golden state's 2021 pick as well but you're not going to get the minnesota pick in that deal no so orlando was one of my kind of down the list teams so we may as well just hit them real quick right now um and it's it's for the reasons you said it's that like you know maybe they're fine with the the mediocrity treadmill chasing the eight seed fast track to nowhere or whatever you want to call it but like to me i think isaac's latest injury kind of removes the the most likely path out of that for them because there was a scenario where Isaac was going to stay healthy and be uh, an all defensive first and second team, maybe defensive player of the year candidate for a long time. And he, you could play him at center. You could build a lot of interesting stuff. You could move out of it. You know, there was a way out. I think if Isaac had the, was, you know, going to reach his peak potential, but I, you know, it sucks, but I think that's just extremely unlikely now. And so now it's, to me, Orlando is just really in a position where, you know, Gordon is someone they could definitely move. I mean, there are very few teams to me that need to move up in the draft more than Orlando because I do think they need to take mm-hmm. a home run swing. Like, as you just said, you know, if they could get ball, at least suddenly that's interesting. Suddenly, you know, there's a replacement for Isaac in the, you know, faint hope of like a way out of this department. Um, so Orlando, just because they do feel sort of ripe for a big you know, overhaul. Um, I think they're one of the most interesting teams. And like, look, you know, Terrence Ross, I think is a contract you can trade. Fournier, if he opts in, I think you could, you know, who knows, you could extend him, you could trade him, you could whatever. Um, I think he probably will opt in, by the way. Um, And then you might, you might even start thinking about like, what do we, how do we get off Vucevic's deal? Is anybody interested in that? Could we give him the the Cavs for Drummond and something? (laughs) And I like, I don't know. But But the Magic do seem kind of positioned uh, or at least they should be positioned to start thinking about like we really got to make some drastic changes here yeah without Isaac for next season it's just if you ever thought there was gonna be a peak version of yourself that could make serious waves in the east it's just not gonna be there next year no um and so I'd be with you there the last trade I have with the Warriors not to segue us from away from the magic um this is like the most interesting one to me let's say the Spurs are ready to pivot into the rebuild are you doing number two and I'm just going to call it Gorgie Jang or James Johnson. So an expiring contract at number two for Derek White, Rudy Gay. And I, I feel like number 11 would need to be in there as well. Uh, so I was hoping you'd say Derek White um, because I'm on the Derek White uh, official fan club for sure. Um, if it was just going to be Rudy Gay, it was going to be a hard pass. But yeah, I think I think if I'm the Warriors, I do that. Um, if I'm the Spurs, like I don't it's weird. I don't under, I don't know if the Spurs like value Derek white as much as a lot of people do, because it seems to me like he should be a huge focal point and they should be kind of trying to, you know, figure out how to maximize him. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but it just sort of feels like a mess there because they have Lonnie Walker and they have DeJounte Murray, who's theoretically your defense first point guard guy of the future. White could be a combo guy. Um, and then Keldon Johnson suddenly is a thing now too. So, um, not that he's a point guard, but he's in that. I, I lump those four guys all together in my mind. 
Um, I think White would help the Warriors a ton. I think Gay, I just it he it's he's at a point where it's like it could just be gone this year. You know, it like he's been an incredible story post Achilles and has been so much better than uh, I thought he would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but if, you know, I think White is the key there. I think if you're giving me back 11, I'm doing that because then I'm going to go get another of those kind of, you know, fungible three and D guys out of this draft. And I'm, I'm feeling pretty good because I got three rotation players out of the, out of the deal. And it's also what you're talking about though, might make it less worthwhile for the Spurs because it's like, well, is LaMelo ball? Like you're going to loop him into like that whole, um, mishmash of guards that are there right now even Anthony Edwards where it's like the Spurs they don't really have wings but like they're they're not wanting for them right now because do you consider Lonnie Walker a wing DeJounte Murray's like kind of a wing so is Keldon Johnson but not really so Wiseman if he's still there at number two which I would assume he would be if Minnesota's the team using the number one pick maybe that's value there because you know they they don't really have anybody unless they view Jakob Pertl as the center of of the future there and we know Marcus Aldridge is not the center of the future right. there. So I have a tough time seeing, you know, is gay and Derek white, like to move up nine spots. Does that make sense for them is basically what it becomes. Yeah. And I think it depends on the thing that I'm not sure about is what, what's their, what value are they putting on white? You know, because if, if he is a guy that they view as he's a starter for us for a long time, or at least a, you know, maybe he, he's our sixth man or something, then I don't know if that's worth it to them. Um, but you know, the other thing is the Spurs are sort of hard to gauge in general because we have this perception of sort of how they've operated for 20 some odd years. Right. And that's going to change in a year or two. And they're just going to be another NBA team essentially. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if, if sort of the same rules are going to apply, which also like the Spurs never make trades. So <laughs> that would be, that'd be the first thing I would, I would worry about. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of the Spurs as a, as a, as a possible trade partner. I don't know. There's a bunch of deals out there. It's just they're all nothing's bowling you over if you're the Warriors. If, if it had been by now, you know, we would have probably heard some whispers about it. Yeah, like even trying to come up with the mega package where you trade both the Minnesota pick and this pick, it's just like, well, what does that get you? Because when you're getting to a deal that's so big, then you kind of need Andrew Wiggins in there, and he changes the complexion of the deal entirely as someone who's on a net negative contract. Yeah. I mean, obviously Giannis was, was sort of like, I'm sure internally what they – we're hoping Wiggins and, you know, the next year's Minnesota first and literally what anything else they could throw in there. Um, but it's just that's just not going to happen, I, I don't think so. And maybe you can entice the Wizards into giving you Bradley Beal with uh, it would have to be other stuff with those two picks and Wiggins. My whole thing is as good as Bradley Beal is, is he like the best fit for that roster? Because their defense is already kind of shaky. Um, where now you have to wonder if Clay Thompson's going to be better off guarding bigger wings post uh, ACL injury, just because in theory, like they'll be slower than the assignments that he's normally used to guarding. And you're not helping your defense. Like, Wiggins isn't a defender, but he's at least a body you can imagine moving around the wings. Beal is not that player. And if he's defending the way that he did this year, which is to say not at all, that sort of becomes a problem where you have post. AC um post ACL Clay and then Steph and then Bradley Beal like what does your defense look like if Draymond Green isn't playing at defensive player of the year level right well that's why you need James Wiseman in there to just clean up everybody's mistakes right yeah but you're not getting Bradley Beal and having <laughs> James Wiseman is the problem no, I know. <laughs> also James Wiseman will not be cleaning up mistakes he will be making them yes that's a we- good point as well I can't believe I let that one slide so you had the Warriors which was an overlap and then we talked about the magic briefly do you have anything to add on on them 
Uh, no, I just just that they seem ripe, as as I think we both agree, for something to happen um, because they just yeah we, we we would just be rehashing that. I feel like I've been stealing all the teams. Do you have an who's did you have a number one team that we haven't really hit yet? Yeah. So you said you didn't have them on your list, but the Pelicans for me. Yeah. And I think I I think I've probably maybe just had too much time to think about basketball like this exact season that we're sort of in, or at least transition that we're about to make. And I'm I'm looking at New Orleans, and I I've been the advocate of like they should you know re-sign Brandon Ingram, use their MLE, bring back Derek Favors, like go at it in the West. And it's sort of like, wow, they did not look good when they were in in the bubble. And like I know there was all these just you know circumstances beyond their control. And Zion Williamson had like eight different rookie seasons. It felt like at the same time, I'll I'll put it this way: if you max out Brandon Ingram. That's basically with everyone else that's on your books uh, without deciding whether you're going to bring back uh, Derek Favors, without deciding on Etwan Moore. Um, I'm assuming they won't guarantee they'll just get rid of Darius Miller. Like that's just the salary cap at this point um, Mm -hmm. with the pick number 13 in there. And now looking ahead, so you're going to have to pay Drew Holiday in 2021. He has the player option. JJ Redick is coming off the books then too. Like Lonzo Ball is extension eligible. He's going to need a new contract then. Josh Hart is going to need a new contract then. I'm sort of wondering, like, is there a danger in maxing out Andrew Wiggins now? Because it almost consigns you to competing immediately. And while you mentioned that Zion Williams's prime might be shorter than not, I'm still just looking at it like this roster could all of a sudden be concerned with a luxury tax by 2021. And so they're interesting to me in the sense that one, will they decide to move Drew Holiday to move, to pivot into sort of more of a gradual timeline? And two, might they consider something that we're not talking about? And I think most people would be like, oh, Alonzo Ball trade. My whole thing is like, would you sign and trade Brandon Ingram at this point? Like there will be teams, even the ones with cap space, because they know you could match, that might be open to doing something. Like what if you can get number six and Cam Reddish out of Atlanta and maybe something else too? Like, is that a move you're considering? Because, yeah, Brandon Ingram is was an all-star level player last year, but do you count on that moving forward? And two, what does that just mean for you in the context of the Western Conference over the next three to four years when you're, like, not really sure how this whole roster meshes together? I, You know, I think that's one, you know, certainly that's one way to view it. The other way I, I would push back on it and frame it this way is the, the Pelicans kind of have a lot of good problems. Um, because the holiday thing, you know, look, they can, he's, I assume he's going to opt in for 21, 22. So you, you really do oh, you got this in. year. Really? Yeah, I think so. I, I cause I, I think honestly, I think anybody that has like over 25 million that they can lock down as even like, I don't think we're going to be through the financial uncertainty, you know, in 21, 22. I think, I think player options right now. Unless you're like Jeremy Grant, you know, under, you know, if you're down on around the 10 million, whatever, um, I think, you, you know, you can get out on the market and see what you can do. But if Holiday's option is 27.1 million um, and he's going to be, I'll, I don't have it in front of me, but he, I think he's 30 now or 29. 30, and so, yeah, turn 30 in June. So like, yeah, you could opt out um, and sign maybe like a four year, $110 million deal. But I don't, I just, I don't know. So I'm viewing him more as there's sort of less urgency to trade him because of the length of his contract, because I'm viewing it as a two year thing. Okay. Um, and, and, and so you have that, you know, less urgency there. I think Ingram to me, you do max him out. I think um, just not just because he was an all-star or anything like that, but the specific types of 
gains that he made in his game this year are just the kinds that are just, they seem like not foolproof, but they're, I think they stick like the ability to shoot off the dribble, the ability to add a bunch of volume to your three point shot. Um, and just at his height, I feel like, you know, the Tatum comparison is really imperfect. He's not Jason Tatum, but, um, I think there's some of that in there. So I think you max him out. You've got Williamson on the rookie deal through 23, 24, um, probably you extend him before that if it looks like he's going to be healthy. I don't know. Um, so I think at first, if, if the question is six and reddish for Ingram or, you know, some permutation of that, no, I think I, I want Ingram. I'm going to lock him down. Um, and I'll worry about moving holiday who I think is going to be an asset basically until the day his contract expires. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just going to figure what, that out later. What if Golden State is coming at you with, Number two, the Minnesota pick. If if I'm getting the Minnesota and another pick, pick and Andrew Wiggins' deal, you're getting three picks and Andrew Wiggins for Brandon Ingram. Oh, for Ingram? I thought you were going to talk about Holiday. Um, man, I don't know. You you you're just kind of overwhelming me with these Warriors trade options. I'm trying to stay. That wasn't that one was just one that's framing. But I'm saying like I could even see Atlanta being like, you know, hey, here's Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, that OKC pick in 2022 and then the number the number six pick here like let's talk about a, a, an ingram sign and trade and then look the pelicans still are interesting to me i think they keep ingram i want to be clear i just have more questions about it because of how far away they appeared in the bubble but if you're going to pay ingram and you're going to keep holiday well then you're still interesting because it's like well do you look at like seeing what you could get for lonzo ball not just because of the money but maybe to make the roster just a, a better balance and then also in general you're still kind of like tethered to a winish now window, I would say. If you're gonna, if you're as soon as you max someone out in my books, like it's with Phoenix with Devin Booker, like the clock just starts ticking. Then, even if you know they're not an imminent flight risk, because you've just invested that equity in someone, and so can they go out and make you know a win nowish trade? Like does does them trying to enter the Bradley Beal sweepstakes if Washington even makes them available because they have all those picks from that from that Laker trade makes sense. Um, are they a team like I know Victor Oladipo probably isn't like the best fit there, but like a miles Turner, that would be a, a perfect move. You've already talked about it. So I think they're interesting both ways because they, I feel like they almost have to pick one just because I, I feel like we're at the point where we've established at least for the most part that this roster as currently constructed is not going to be this quasi contender. Yeah. You know, in my mind, I kind of, and this might just be wishful thinking, but like, you know, when we first started talking about them, I, I said that, you know, everything kind of depends on where they think they are. And in my mind, I just unrealistically, I kind of want them to try to just do both, you know, like let's hold on to holiday. Let's develop our young guys. If we want to trade ball for future assets, that's fine. But let's sort of try to nurture the young guys, keep getting, you know, future assets and keep our vets, you know, like I, I kind of want them to try to do everything at least for a year or two. Um, but like, to me, if you're trading Ingram, you're also trading holiday. You're also trading Reddick. You're, you know, because he Ingram is, is an all-star who theoretically is just starting his prime. Um, and if you're going to move him, I think you're just, you're sort of tearing it down again. Even then they just did that. So, which feels like a little bit too much upheaval for me. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of want them to try to do both. Just kind of do everything. Be all things to all people. Be, be young and old. Be good now and later. Like, let's just, let, let's just see if that's actually possible. Do you want to hit me with your next team? Um, so can we talk about Brooklyn? 
I think but, we sort of have to talk about. Brooklyn. I think um, you and I, whenever we podcast, are contractually obligated to talk about Brooklyn because we invariably do. That's right. I think yeah. So we're probably just going to rehash things we talked about. Um, so my first bullet point under Brooklyn Nets for my teams is quote just the circus of Kyrie and no experience Nash. Like that. That to me puts like everything uh, on the table for them. So the third the the third star pursuit, which I think we both talked about together and separately of, I'm not sure that's the best way to go. Um, you know, trading all these guys that are useful starter slash rotation players on really good contracts for, you know, insert whoever Beal, who again, just keeps looking like he's not going to be moved. But of course that's exactly what he and Washington should say to keep his value high. Right. Um, you know, the Joe Harris free agency, What's he going to get? Um, he to me, keeping him to me is about as important as anything else the Nets could possibly do this offseason. I just don't know what that's going to cost. Um, and then you just have overlaying all of this, the really like quietly high stakes of you need to win now because Kevin Durant is 32 um, and he's going to age better than most. And even with the Achilles injury, I, I guess there are reports out there of like, he's just looked incredible in workouts and scrimmages. Shocking. Um, yeah, right. Shocking. Yeah. Nobody's ever said, he looks, he looks a little washed. I think we should. He put on him. 15 pounds of muscle in four weeks. Yeah. And he got, fat, he got taller too. <laughs> <laughs> but they um, didn't list it. They're actually listing him at six, seven now. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, but that's kind of a quietly, that's a big deal because like as much as we like to think of the Durant Irving pairing as as a pairing, I mean, those guys are not on the same level. If you know Durant is like an all timer, um, one of the best scorers ever. Like this is not new information to you. Um, he's like a separate class of basketball player. Kyrie Irving is a really good offensive player who brings a lot of difficulties, like every literally everywhere else, um, on and off the floor. So if Durant is not, uh, you know, close to what he used to be. For very long then it sort of almost doesn't matter like what the nets do because they're not going to get this off the ground um but but so those are kind of the bullet points you could take you could take uh, any of those and and uh run with you know the Kyrie, steve nash thing third star pursuit joe harris kd's age what like what interests you most about the the nets kind the of coaching the collaborative the nets don't have a head coach that's it's, I, it's <laughs> a it's a co-op you yeah, know, that, that's like a New York thing. Uh, I think I'm most fascinated by the – they have to keep Joe Harris. My my semi-spicy take is that if you're the Knicks, I would rather overpay Joe Harris than Fred Van Fleet because he's so plug-and-play that there's – yes, you can overpay for shooters, but like within the context of your roster where you have these ball handlers who can't shoot, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, and then Mitchell Robinson, a big who doesn't really space the floor, like just surround them with – outlets of shooting and joe harris is what you know you wanted wayne ellington to be and and he was not so i maybe the nets don't value joe harris like that because you know Kyrie, like when he was talking about his teammates like joe harris wasn't on that list in the middle of the season he said that didn't mean anything and perhaps it didn't i'll give him the benefit of the doubt there but i just don't view his free agency as an issue for them if you have to pay him 15 million dollars pay him 15 million dollars the third star pursuit is interesting to me because they have at once, one of the more interesting under-the-radar trade packages out there, but it's also built around players that are sort of win-now win when you're looking at Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert. And so, like, I don't know, if you're giving up both of those guys in a deal, I don't know how much of an upgrade you're actually getting. 
Um, and the, my hotter take would be, I'm not giving up Karis LeVert in a deal for Drew Holiday. I'm not giving him up in a deal for Victor Oladipo. I consider giving him up definitely for, for Bradley Beal, but like that, unless you're getting a top 20 player certified top 20, not Drew Holiday, where in any given season, maybe you could envision it. I'm just not giving up Karis LeVert. I think he just provides more value to you on that contract. And so if Dinwiddie, Allen picks, and then another salary, Torian Prince can get you a, a Drew Holiday, if it can get you a Victor Oladipo, like, yes, I'm looking at that. Otherwise, though, I think the Nets might be better off standing pat or just thinking smaller scale. Like, do you know who's a great fit in Brooklyn? Aaron Gordon. Like, that would be, is there a way to work that, like, Dinwiddie and another salary, does that get you Aaron Gordon? Like, that's absolutely perfect for for what they need. So I think they should look at moves like that where maybe you're not necessarily getting the third star, but you get to keep Karis LeVert. I'm not saying that he's going to be your third star, but after what he did, and he's not the most efficient player, but he can hit an off the dribble three and he's a really good passer. And, you know, you can at least throw him on twos and some threes defensively and not live to regret it all the time. That like, it it matters to me when he's from a team perspective um, on this, what I would call a value contract, three years and $52.5 million. If you're concerned about his health, I get it. But are you guaranteeing yourself much better health with Victor Oladipo? Not necessarily. And then even with Drew Holiday, like, um, let's say he's not expiring. He's, his just seems like a case of, well, he's going to opt in and then you have to extend him anyway. Like that's going right. to be the situation. So Karis LeVert has shot up in value to me. And so unless you're getting Bradley Beal or a player above, um, you know, let's say James Harden becomes available and you just throw the kitchen sink at Houston picks, LeVert, Dimwitty, um, Allen. Jared Allen. Yeah. I, like, I don't know if Houston actually considers that. And then Brooklyn's defense will be just a certified disaster in that case. But like, that's the type of deal that I think you would have to move Karis Vernon at that point. And I'm interested to see whether the Nets don't view it that way. Kevin Durant has said uh, that Karis Levert can be the Nets' third star. And I actually think that him and Karis Levert have a pre-existing relationship. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I feel like he had mentioned this in a scrum that I was in. I can't when he was talking about an injury. Uh, so like maybe that goodwill actually means something. But then there's also this urgency in Brooklyn where it's like, well, DeAndre Jordan very clearly shouldn't have been prioritized over Jared Allen, but that's exactly what happened once Kenny Atkinson left. And so there's this, and then look at who was hired as head coach. Uh, like a Steve Nash, a brilliant basketball mind, but he definitely skipped the line. And this seems like it was um, handpicked by both Kevin Durant, who's good friends with him and Kyrie Irving, who've used this as a coaching co-op right now. And I don't, you know, I don't have a problem with them, like with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. If you want to say they're running the show or they just have this heavy influence, like they're the superstars. That's why like you sign them. Like if that was part of the deal, that's fine. But when players take that view, I do feel like they're more short-sighted than not. And I'm not trying to criticize saying that executives are better because executives make boneheaded decisions all the time. I could just see a scenario in which they, the Nets, wind up undervaluing what Karis LeVert actually is to them or what he can actually net them on the trade market. And the example would be if you move him for Victor Oladipo, I think it's, I think it's a failed to move. I think that's probably right. Um, and I may or may not have proposed exactly that in some trade piece I wrote. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but a couple, so I've said this before. Um, I want to talk more about Levert because like every element of, of him on this team and potentially not being on this team is really interesting to me. Um, I, I think what you need, if you're going to be the type of team that the Nets want to be, which is to say a legitimate contender what you need are superstars, and you also need – I probably said this on this pod before. And I think you also need a bunch of guys that are way better than the contracts that they have. So 
you know, I think Dinwiddie falls in that category. I think Levert definitely falls in that category. I think Harris, even if he's getting 15 million, might fall in that category. So the idea that instead of having stars and a bunch of guys outperforming the contracts they're on and providing a bunch of extra surplus value for you, the idea that it's instead better to have a third superstar who necessarily on the best version of the Nets will be marginalized because you've got two guys that need the ball and deserve the ball in Irving and Durant, um, I think is a mistake. Um, the other, the problem is Levert kind of falls into that same category because he is absolutely an on-ball guy. And mm-hmm. the counter would be, well, Kyrie Irving never stays healthy and Durant is coming off a catastrophic injury. We don't know how durable he's going to be. So Levert's going to be able to sort of maximize his on-ball game just fine. That's a good counter. Maybe that's how it plays out. But I do think it's fair to say that Levert is not going to get to be the is probably not going to get to be the best version of himself on this team, and that other types of players might provide Brooklyn more value. Maybe ne- not necessarily dollar for dollar value because Levert's contract is, as you mentioned, is so I mean just enticing. Any team should want that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but I think like especially if. And this may or may not be the case. There have to be teams around the league uh, that look at Levert and kind of see a, and I want to be very careful about this because I'm not drawing this comparison, see like a James Harden leaving OKC kind of situation. He's, Levert is not Harden, um, but this, this, the idea Aggregators that, alert. Yeah. Karis <laughs> Levert is James Harden. Nobody's going to aggregate me. This is way too convoluted of a point I'm making. But I think there are teams out there that would have reason to view Levert as a guy like, we can get this guy. The the Nets, I think, you know, it's not a – the way that he is valuable to us is different than the way he's valuable to the Nets in a way that benefits us because we're going to take him. We're going to put the ball in his hands. He's the top option, and he's going to get us 27 a game uh, and, you know, six assists, what, whatever. Like, he's just going to be our guy. He's going to pop. He's going to finally stay healthy. And lo and behold, we got an all-star making $16 million a year for the next, you know, this year and two more. And now we're rolling. Like, there have to be teams out. Like, Orlando should be one of those teams. Like, suddenly they have a guy that actually makes stuff happen offensively. Um, add, add any number of other teams that just need a guy to do that. So that, to me, I'm just arguing against myself because there would be logic in the Nets moving him because they could extract a lot of value from a team that views Levert that way. And the Nets will not get that kind of production from Levert. So I just, I'm, I cannot wait to see what they do. And I honestly, my gut reaction again to circle back is that they should just keep him because he's such a value on that deal. And he's so good and Dinwiddie to some extent and Allen same way. But I'm really interested to see how that this plays out because there is a scenario where he just goes to another team and he's an all-star and the Nets maybe, you know, that's how they get their third star and it fits better. It's just, it's just a totally, uh, you know, unpredictable kind of set of outcomes laying out there, just all tied directly to Levert and what the Nets do with him. I'm totally with you where you could talk yourself just around yourself when discussing right. the Brooklyn Nets. Like that's where they're at. But I do think they end up doing something. I don't know what to. it is. They, they, you don't hire Steve Nash to be your coach. You know, like I just, that to me is so on brand of look how splashy this was. And like, there's no bigger Nash fan than me. Like, I hope it goes well. I don't think it's going to go well. Um, but the, the Nets just seem like this, this is it. They're, they're going to make noise. And the way you do that is trading for a star. So I, I do, I agree. I think they're going to do something. I do think, um, and I already mentioned this though, that they actually, like their best trade packages are really good. 
Like oh, when yeah. you look at Dimwitty, and if you want to bet, you know, we talk about, you know, how much, how far into the distance are you willing to go with picks? Like this whole thing is completely combustible. And so if you're taking a chance on like, you get Brooklyn to throw you a, a loosely protected, like 2023 first round pick that really just you know beefs up the deal a ton too. And you still have Jared Allen uh, granted, you'll have to pay him um, before 21, 22, like, and even just Spencer Dimwitty. Yeah. You could worry about him entering free agency in 2021, but he's a fringe all-star in the Eastern conference. So their best trade package though, I feel like could actually get them something special. It's just a matter of, is that someone special going to be available? And if he's not, are they going to offer close to their best and just settle anyway for the sake of doing something? Yeah, no, they're they're super interesting. I'm glad we got our 20 minutes of Nets talk. I was worried we weren't going to be able to pull it off. Uh, my next team is, and I do have some, I don't want to make it seem like we're focusing on all just like the you know flagship franchises, but Dallas to me is incredibly oh, interesting. interesting. Because... So Brian Windhorst on the jump mentioned that the Mavericks are expected to be in the front of the line for Giannis. And we can make the joke that it's like, well, you know, 29 other teams are saying the, the same yeah. thing. But like 29 other teams don't have another entrenched like top five player by that point who is just so young that you could just contend for championships for, for roughly forever. My whole thing is because you have Luka Doncic, you're like, aren't you obligated to do something now? And I know you're not going to have cap space, unless Tim Hardaway Jr. opts out, which no one expects him to, I would think, at this point. Uh, still, like, you can explore. This is a team, when you talk about sign-in trades, like, this is a team where it can make sense. Um, they have pick number 18 that they can move after the fact. You have Seth Curry. Like, that contract is gold. Dorian Finney-Smith, gold. DeLon Wright, I don't think he's a great fit for the Mavericks. I think he could be a great fit elsewhere. You have Tim Hardaway Jr. on that expiring deal as fodder and so i'm not saying you unload everything but like if you can get a daniel gallinari via sign and trade or even a fred van fleet if toronto decides that it wants to you know about face into this i'll, I'll call it a gap year because i don't expect them to rebuild with pascal siakam and og ananobi there like you can actually do some stuff but then there's also the the pull of well is this the summer to even do that because i mentioned daniel gallinari and fred van fleet but like after them who's worth going the sign and trade route for. There's just not a ton of options. Maybe a Joe Harris, if you could get him, he doesn't really alleviate the ball handling, but he's just, imagine him playing next to, to Luka Doncic. Like, just, just imagine that. So, I understand the Mavericks want to wait, but like, we've heard this story before with them when they had Dirk, and like, it just didn't work out. They went after Darren Williams, they missed on him the first time. Dwight Howard, they missed on him as well. Uh, didn't they also get a meeting with, you know, they were like tangentially mentioned in one of the LeBron sweepstakes, I believe, and he doesn't end up there and so there have been misses historically and you're just you know when you're betting against the field you're probably not going to get superstar x like there are just a, a bunch of other teams that are going to be interested in it certainly helps that if Giannis is going to enter free agency um he's probably not going to be traded like if he hasn't signed the supermax we know the bucks aren't going to deal him so that helps dallas's case still luka Doncic is great already like you're nearing a 51 pace this season I know there's the element of, well, Christos Porzingis remain healthy. That works both ways. It's, well, you know, then you should wait. But then it's like, well, no, you should probably try and get another number two for Doncic right now so that he's not carrying as big of a load, particularly in crunch time. Um, I also subscribe, subscribe to the theory that if you need cap space, you can always figure out a way to get it. If Giannis decides he wants to play for you, uh, you, you'll figure out a way to make it happen. Like, you'll just, you'll do it if he wants to play for you. So I'm not as worried about gumming up their 2021 books. And then here's the other thing. He, what if Giannis signs the Supermax? I don't think, I, my gut feeling is that he won't, but that's just a gut feeling. Let's say he does, though. 
are you really waiting until 2021 because you know Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have player options and LeBron has a player option? It becomes a lot less intriguing to me that summer if Giannis signs his Supermax, or it doesn't look like he's leaving Milwaukee for that matter. And so I feel like they're not necessarily obligated, but they're a team that could end up making this all-in-ish play that you wouldn't have expected them to make because the assumption is that they're trying to remain flexible for 2021. So I'm so glad you mentioned the, because nobody's talked about this. And so it, the Heat are one of the teams, Dallas is another. Anytime you, you, we've heard it for months, oh, such and such team doesn't want to do anything to tie up long-term money because they're really focused on 2021 and that free agent class. And by that free agent class, there are other free, There's it's a great year, but it's Giannis, right? Like the Heat want Giannis. Toronto wants Giannis. Dallas wants Giannis. That's what that's that's why they're you know theoretically not going to tie up long term money, but to, exactly as you said, if if a player of that level and really like Giannis is going to decide where he plays, it's not like some team that he doesn't want to go to is going to trade for you know it's like that's just not how it works right. at that level. So when he says, "Hey, I want to come play in Dallas," no problem. We'll do whatever we can easy. We can move this money. No problem. We can attach a bunch of picks cause they're not going to be worth shit anyway. Cause we're going to be so awesome. Cause we have Giannis and Luca, but right. Like it's so easy to move that money. So this idea that we're, Oh, we're going to keep the powder dry. We're going to, no, no, no. If, if you're keeping the powder dry for just a general free agency pursuit, like we want to sign, you know, a couple starters or whatever, like that's fine. But if it's, there's this one guy and we think we have a shot at signing him, like there's no, it's a totally different situation. Um, so yeah, I agree. They, they don't need to, to avoid signing guys because if it comes down to it, they can just do whatever they need to, to get rid of them and sign Giannis. But with that said, I do think that Dallas is actually, they do have all those, like all those contracts you mentioned are so team friendly. And I do think that their position to, you know, be at least as good as they were this year, which is to say like, kind of not, for sure contenders but i mean they're close and if you price they kind of feel like they're between 0.5 and 1.5 players away if that makes any sense which is pretty damn close they're really close and so that might just be uh, you know i don't know somebody gets a a couple guys get a little bit better and suddenly you've made up that 0.5 to 1.5 player gap and you get a little lucky and you know another can you know they could be in the conference finals if they don't do anything like that wouldn't be remotely surprising next year um, so, you know, just going out willy nilly and just, you know, let's, we, you know, Luca's great. Now we gotta, we gotta maximize this roster. I do think you have to at least balance that against let's make sure we're keeping, you know, the first thing, the first thing here, which is getting Giannis. And like you said, they probably aren't going to get him just cause you always take the field, especially when Dallas is involved. Cause their history is just, they just don't seem right. to measure up to other teams in free agency. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you made that point. That was something I was going to bring up this idea of, of let's, let's keep the books clear. Cause that just, to me is totally, uh, just misses the point of like how big name players actually end up on teams that they want to play for. And I will say, I like the idea of Fred Van Fleet in Dallas a great deal, just because he doesn't hurt your defense. If anything, he's going to help it. Um, where Dallas not going to help you get stops, even though I think that he could be exactly what you need as well. But if you can work, if Toronto is just like, well, we don't want to pay Van Fleet, you know, between 18 and $23 million a year, like whatever it ends up being. Uh, I feel like there are some sign and trade scenarios there and he feels like he would be the perfect fit for 
um, Dallas. And it's, look, like you said, at this level, I don't think with Giannis, you don't need to worry about having cap space in advance. He'll figure out a way to get it if he wants to play for your team. Can, can we, uh, I want to do one more, uh, I don't know if the, you know, not the flagship teams. I, this is, this is one I wanted to get to. Um, if are you done, are you done on Dallas? You got anything else on them? No, nothing else on them. So let's talk about the Nuggets. Um, and so for me, like looking at trades and like what, you know, what, where could Oladipo wind up or where could Drew Holiday or where could Beal end up to like, you just, you know, look, and I know that um, I think it was today or yesterday, there was a report about the Nuggets have said, like, don't even ask about Michael Porter Jr. Like off the table, not just no way, which again, same thing with the Wizards and Beal. Like, of course you say that, like that that's, that's how you keep a player's value high and you make teams make dumber offers than they otherwise would. But you just have Porter Jr. and the Gary Harris contract and some filler. And like suddenly Denver is in play for absolutely anybody you know, that is possibly going to be moved. Um, and basically, if you're replacing Gary Harris, who just, you know, seemed like a huge value when he signed that contract a few years ago and, and then was borderline unplayable for like the last year plus of it, um, partly because of injury. But like if you upgrade Gary Harris in that rotation with someone like the best version of Oladipo or Holiday or Beal, like now we're really talking about something with Nuggets, and I get it that Porter Jr. is is kind of a lottery ticket and looked so good, but like if if this is going to get you over the top right now, um, which maybe those guys would, Denver to me is kind of the sneaky, sensible landing spot for like almost any of these guards and wings that could potentially be on offer, um, and and you know that's to say nothing of the Jeremy Grant player option situation, Paul Millsaps future with the team or non-future depending on you know what shakes out there but Denver I think has a lot has a potentially very interesting offseason depending on how aggressive it wants to get yeah I'm with you I'm just I give up MPJ if it's for Beal I don't give him up for Oladipo I'm on the fence about Drew Holiday like can you get it feels like you would need to get Drew like Josh Hart back in that deal as well for me um but it's also complicated by the fact that Gary Harris is a great salary filler, but he's not really on a, his contract isn't considered positive value anymore. And if you're Denver, you don't have like these other top notch picks to just throw in there or even prospects like, yeah, bull bull is kind of novel at this point. That's fine. But your, your own future picks are not going to be worth all that much to other teams. And so it feels like if you want to acquire that swing piece, you almost have to include MPJ because I'm like trying to rack my brain for, you know, what is, um, Gary Harris and just what are going to end up being low to mid end picks. Like where, as that is a framework, like where does that get you? Does it, maybe it's enough to get your older deep in which case I would rather do that. And then you could still hang on to MPJ. But if you want to make the leap that it's going to take to keep pace with the, the Lakers and the Clippers, if you want to throw the Rockets in there, fine. Or even just to hold, fend off the up and comers like the Pelicans, maybe like the Suns. Uh, it's something that you're absolutely going to have to consider. And look, Teams were worried about his injury history before he was drafted. And maybe you have to read into the fact that he was talking about or hinting at even a little bit in the playoffs, not getting enough shots at some point. And then you also just don't have necessarily the, maybe during the regular season, you could play him more. You definitely could. But do you have the stomach for his learning curve um, on defense? There are like nights where it looks like he's going to be a pretty good help defender. And then there are nights where he just looks lost. I know that's part of the youngster experience, but if you're Denver and you don't have like, you're, you just don't have a lockdown defense to begin with. And and you could lose Paul Millsap. You could, in theory, lose Jeremy Grant this offseason. It won't necessarily get easier to navigate the minutes with MPJ on the floor either. Yeah, that, so I think any deal depends on 
so obviously I think this might sound crazy like three years from now if he's made two all-star games and has a scoring title by then but like I think you might be selling you're, you're selling high on Porter Jr. because of the breakout in the bubble um and you're you're no no Gary Harris deal happened like MPJ is the deal like that's that's why a team you know with a veteran that it's looking to move would do would even consider this mm-hmm. um and they'd, they'd have to believe that this guy is going to be our leading scorer or at the very least like an awesome number two option that will a stay healthy and b continue to be like mostly not terrible on defense you know the majority of the time um i do think you know i i actually so i think we agree that beal is just you know the average 30 a game he's kind of a he's probably at the top of of the list of guys you could get but if you do bring Grant back and you have Drew Holiday, that's 40% of your starting five that's like pretty nasty defensively. Um, and and I think, you know, depending on, you know, if you have Torrey Craig in there, who actually I think he's also a free agent. So, you know, not exactly high on the list of fascinating Denver options, but, um, you know, you can get away with having to sort of change your schemes every other quarter to, to make sure Jokic isn't getting, you know, you know, used the wrong way in a playoff series. Um, I, I, you know, so to me, if, I don't know if the Pelicans would have any interest, but if you're just starting of Porter Jr., Harris, and I, maybe you have to throw in one of their unimpressive picks for holiday. I, I mean, you know, maybe Porter Jr. and, and, and Ingram are a little like there's some overlap there, but you know, that's a, that's a starting point at least for me. And I think holiday makes a ton of sense, just specifically him, uh, in Denver. And look, the, the upside of selling high on MPJ because of what he did in the bubble is maybe you don't have to include that extra asset to do it, where it's just, I think Harris and Porter Jr. get you there financially for Drew Holiday. If it doesn't, you know, you have, uh, you're not going to want to give up Monte Morris in that deal, but you actually, they do not have just like these expendable contracts. You don't want to give up Will Barton. Um, KDBH job would be, you know, not guaranteed. You, you could throw him in there. So like that, maybe that's the, that's one of the benefits is that you don't have to include all this other stuff with MPJ. Like he's just the the framework. Um, I will say though, if you get rid of Gary Harris, like, I don't know that Drew Holiday is probably not worse equipped to defend wings. Maybe he's a little bit better, but like, I don't, you're not like, that's where you get into this, what you're giving up, like how much are you actually replacing? Like, yeah, you get more shot creation from Drew Holiday, but like you've lost Gary Harris's defense as well. It feels like you've almost rolled the functionality of MPJ and Gary Harris into one player. And I don't know how much that actually does for you, which is why Denver's in, in such a weird spot. It feels like it needs to look for an opportunity to where they don't have to uh, play their best chips at once, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I think I just would say I think Holiday is a major I would do it. Yeah. upgrade on, on Harris defensively specifically. I think you can use Holiday to guard, you know, you look when when in, in the – you know, he guards Kevin Durant like that, like he not, you know, that's partly because the Pelicans just didn't have a better option, but holiday, I think you can get away with on a lot of, you know, all but the biggest wings I think would be, would be doable for him. Um, and you know, maybe more switchable even than Harris, if you're having him chase around small guys, but, but yeah, no, I don't know that that's, that's my, my Denver spiel, which I think is also helpful because it's another, uh, non, you know, coastal, you know, huge market team. So I had two non huge market teams next to each other because it feels like they're the, even though they're not the same team, but they're in different conferences and it feels like they're in the same situation. I have Atlanta and Phoenix because it's like. Atlanta's record doesn't show it. They weren't in the bubble to have that magical 8-0 run like Phoenix did. But these feel like 
two teams that are the ones that are going to be looking to make the biggest leaps in their conferences among the the lottery teams or the the clearly what you might have considered rebuilding teams or the clearly non-playoff teams entering last season. And I'll start with Atlanta. Just they have the most cap space in the league. They can easily get to 40 plus million. I know this isn't the summer to spend it, but like if you come out of this and you've um, you know, maybe you've drummed up the price on like some restricted free agents, but like if you can get a Joe Harris out of this offseason, they were the worst three-point shooting team in the league last year. That ends up being just an absolutely huge deal. Um, can you even get in the mix for like a you know a Marcus Morris? Can you get him out of LA because of the money you have? Like there are things that they could do, or maybe they're giving out these huge one-year deals that players might even want to accept. And then the other thing kind of staring uh, them in the face is that they're primed to make a trade if they want. They have the cap space to do those lopsided deals. Um, they also have Dwayne Dedman's salary if you want to get into salary matching. John Collins is extension eligible. You traded for Clint Capella already. Those two fit on offense, but I feel like there's overlap on defense just in the sense of where you would might want to hide Collins in certain instances. Yeah. So are you willing to move Collins? And you have the number six pick. You have the OKC 2022 pick. You have your future picks. You have DeAndre Hunter. Uh, you have Kevin Herter. You have Cam Reddish. Like they could do some things like where you spend a ton of money in free agency and then just turn around and trade for a marquee-ish name as well. And I'm not saying they're going to go out there and get Bradley Beal. That would be, you know, that's not really going to help their defense, but they're not talked about as a Drew Holiday destination and he would be absolutely perfect for them. Maybe they're one of the teams that's willing to buy medium, we'll say, on Victor Oladipo. Uh, he absolutely works there. So I just feel like they're a team that's set up to do some stuff. I don't know what it is. But if someone's going to make a splash in free agency, uh, they're like sort of it for me. I'm like the non-sign and trade splash. I'll say just because they have so much cap space, and unlike Charlotte, unlike Detroit, unlike even New York, I feel like Atlanta has the incentive, um, or is at least looking to to win now more so than people are really talking about. Whether that's within reach is a different story, but I feel like that's their mindset. And then you could, of course, throw Miami in there, but. I like view them as a non-cap space team at this point because I just assume that they're going to try and float these bloated one-year deals toward Dragic and, and Jay Crowder. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I, I, I totally agree lumping them and the Suns together, but, but it's it's kind of shitty timing for the Hawks because they are, I think, I think it's pretty clear that they're going to try to make the playoffs this year. Um, and they, it, it, in the, like in a vacuum, have the room and have the assets to do like we Dwayne Dedman is essentially an expiring contract because he's partially guaranteed on 21, 22 salary. That's 13 million. You could use to not that they have to do this because they have all that cap space to take in lopsided trades, but like they, they even have that, they even have that salary to throw out there to another team. Um, it's just like, I don't see who in, you know, free agency specifically um, that they could realistically get that would, you know, make, make it sort of worth their while to burn through all these assets and flexibility. So I, what you said about a bunch of one-year deals where you just overpay guys, I think that actually, which is weird to think about because the Hawks are, they, I think of them as a young team still, like they're really in position to do that. And, and actually, as I think about it more now, there might be a market for a lot of guys that, you know, Atlanta, you know, going to Atlanta is not the same as, well, I'm just going to take the Knicks cap space or, you know, I'm going to sign there. I'm going to, you know, Charlotte or or uh, Detroit or whatever, you know, these other teams that have a little bit to spend. Atlanta, I think, you know, is probably regarded fairly highly among NBA players as like a decent place to be. Um, and they're going to try to make the playoffs. They have Trey Young. That's interesting. Clint Capella adds like stability in the middle. Collins can play. 
um, they might be in in a good spot to just spend, hopefully not lock it up for next year, even though we just spent a bunch of time talking about like, don't try to keep your powder dry because that's not a thing. Um, but I think they're in a situation where it's almost unfortunate that they have all these avenues to add talent in this particular offseason <laughs> because the talent just like is in shorter supply than it typically is. But yeah, they're, they're pretty interesting. I, I will be curious to see if my gut says that they, they, they just aren't going to be able to go sign like Van Vliet doesn't make sense. Really? I don't think, or maybe he does. I don't know. I think he does. I mean, you're small in the backcourt then, but he's definitely ball handling relief from Trey young, but we've seen him play alongside Kyle Lowry, who's right. clearly a better defender, but like he can, he can guard either the one or the two. Yeah. I think I, you know, it's funny. Like, uh, Phoenix is always the, Hey, you know, who, you know, you know, where like everybody from Van Vliet to like Chris Paul, it's like, you know, who, you know, it'd be a good spot for him. Phoenix. It's actually kind of true of Atlanta too. It's the, they really are very and much linked. Those two teams. Atlanta can basically take Chris Paul into cap space too. Right. If they really wanted to. I mean, that makes less than zero sense for them, but like that, they could definitely do that. Um, yeah, I don't know. The Suns uh, to pivot a little bit. I think, um, just like the Hawks, you know, and especially with this sort of fuel now from the bubble performance, um, the, you know, I they could really get some interesting stuff done with Kelly Oubre's contract if they wanted to throw him in. I think, what do they have, the 10th pick? Yep. Um, and they have some cap space, could get more if they renounce their holds on, I think it's Baines and Saric both. So they have a lot of avenues too. And, you know, I wonder, what do you think? All things being equal, if you're a free agent and either the Suns or the Hawks come to you and say like, here's this balloon deal, or that's probably much less possible for the Suns than the Hawks. But where are you, where, where are you more interested in playing of those two teams? If you're a free agent, I think Atlanta, just because there's an, a clear path to the playoffs for them. And they might even yeah. be the clearly inferior team to Phoenix, but the West is just, I mean, who are you bumping from the playoff picture that made it this year? Maybe we'll assume OKC, but after that, who are you bumping? And yeah, that's it. You still have, you know, San Antonio might still be there, but more importantly, there's going to be Portland and New Orleans are going to be right there on top of Phoenix. And then Golden State is coming back as well. And Memphis. I mean, you know, that's a possibility. They're going to be there or potentially a little bit better too. I actually think they're going to be worse. Um, I think they were smart in the sense, I'm not sure how the Justice Winslow trade will, will pan out, but I like that they kind of got rid of their cap space in that way because it prevents them from reading too much into the season. I think that they're going to find they're further away than they're supposed to be. Maybe I'll just be clearly wrong. Perhaps Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Moran are just monstrous, but they seem to be missing like two to three big pieces for me um, to view them as this major threat in the Western Conference. Well, it may be a situation too where they actually get better, but it doesn't show because all the other teams around them got so much better too, and they act, you know they end up looking worse. I feel like that happens. It always there's always a team like that every year that you know got better, but you couldn't tell, you know. Yeah, that's true. Um, really quickly before I let you go, the other team that I had on my list, I'm not sure if you had any other teams there, was Toronto as well, just because we kind of talked about this already, but you have Abaka, Gasol, uh, and Chris Boucher, my guy. Chris <laughs> <laughs> They're free agents, and then Fred Van Fleet's a free agent as well. And it's like they were just one win away from the Eastern Conference Finals. I, just, I could see their offseason going in so many different directions where it's, hey, let's try and balloon payment these guys for a year and just run it back. Um, do we keep only one of those three, two of those three, none of those three? What happens if you keep none of those three? Like, are you 
then are you looking at offers for Kyle Lowry? You have cap space, then are you looking to spend it on anyone? Who are you going to spend it on in this offseason? If you bring everybody back, like, well, you still might have access to your mid-level exception. Who are you going to use that on? But wait, you want to conserve 2021 cap space as well. Is that going to prevent you from adding anybody? And they're not really set up to make any big buy-now trades, I would say, because you would have to give up um, Ananobi and, I guess, future picks, and then you're just not stocked with salary fodder outside of Norman Powell. But just the sheer number of free agents they have and the, the breadth of different ways in which their offseason could play out, it really just intrigues me. And I, I, a lot of people, when they talk about Kyle Lowry, they assume it, it was the same thing last summer. Everyone just, not everyone, but there were a ton of people that thought the Raptors weren't going to go for it. And they just still feel like a team to me that, regardless of what happens with their free agents, that they're still going to try to go for it next season. Yeah, I think that, I think what is probably going to happen is they're going to kind of toe the line. I think my my gut is that Van Vliet will be back. I think they'll pay you know pay what it takes to keep him. Um, it sounds like Gasol is going to be gone, but uh, I don't know how much that actually matters just based on how he looked um, towards the end for them. Like you know, pretty close to unplayable if he's not going to be making perimeter shots, and he wasn't. Um, I think Ibaka is actually maybe the most telltale piece in all that because if they bring him back on. I don't know what the number would be, but if it's for more than, if it's say like a three year deal, um, then I think they're just going to kind of let's, let's organically, let's keep who we've got. Um, let's organically ride this out. And then maybe as soon as Lowry's deal is up in a year, um, it'll be Siakam and Ananobi and Van Fleet just kind of transition into the sort of next core of this team. Um, even though to a large extent, they sort of already are. Um, but, but, and then they'll just kind of diminish the roles of the aging guys and, and just kind of, it'll be sort of a, a natural transition. But I do think there's a possibility that, you know, th- they're going to look at this and say, well, we got Siakam, we got him, you know, locked in. Ananobi, I think is a big time keeper. Van Fleet is there, but everybody else, you know, maybe it's time to start looking at how we can get on the timeline of those other three guys. Um, and not, not that Van Fleet or Siakam are particularly young, but, they're certainly younger than, you know, the Ibaka, Lowry, Gasol core. Um, so I I don't think – I'm going to keep coming back to like, man, could you imagine Kyle Lowry on some other – like what he could do. <laughs> <laughs> Just like how much he would help. Um, but but I, I think it's going to be like a gentle transition, I think, that will take a couple years. And before you – you know, you'll, you'll wake up in 2022 and it will just be the young guys. And, you know, everybody else will kind of just have naturally gone gone away. Uh, I think I'm kind of with you. The the actual final thing I was going to say when we were talking about the Suns is, do you see if they go to the lengths to create cap space, like who makes sense for them? I know you kind of mentioned Fred Van Fleet, but I think if you have Rubio and Booker already on your books, I don't know how much sense that actually makes. And then like, I know Jeremy Grant's been popular. I just, I guess I have a tough time believing that Jeremy Grant's going to leave Denver. Just they gave up the first round pick to get him. And he's the guy they used to defend Kawhi and LeBron, and they don't have anyone to replace that. And so this is, you know, you talk about Atlanta. In a way, this is the offseason for a team like them to have all these tools because a lot of other teams don't. But then when you look at the pool of talent available, it's not. And Phoenix right. is sort of in this a similar boat. I, I, to- I agree. I would say the same thing. I think Van Vliet is the obvious one. Um, and I think you would have to assume that Rubio would, they would move Rubio somehow. I'm not really sure where Rubio fits or makes sense. I think he makes a lot of sense in Phoenix, honestly. Um, <laughs> but, but, but Van, but Van Vliet, you know, would be, I think an upgrade. Um, I don't know. I think 
to me, the, the, one of the more likely things is they, they use Ubre and that 10th pick and, and, you know, see if they could hit the lottery. And, you know, now you got Aiton Booker and some unlikely from this draft anyway, other cornerstone. Um, I think that's, that's a possibility, but yeah, their, their space, you know, we talk about like, they're definitely going to have it, but there is a case to be made. You just bring Baines and Sarge back and you, you sort Particularly of with just, the way Sarge played off the bench in the bubble. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think maybe you just go that route. Um, and, and if, you know, but if Van Fleet's, if, if he's, you know, saying, Hey, I want to come, then I think you reevaluate, but, but yeah, same as Atlanta, like, they're positioned well relative to the rest of the league, except that like there's just not enough talent out there that makes a lot of sense for them. Do you do Kelly Oubre Jr. and number 10 for Aaron Gordon and number 15? How much better is Aaron Gordon than Kelly Oubre? Like, I mean, a I little think, bit. I think there are some people that argue he might be a downgrade from them, but I like what Gordon does defensively. You'd be banking on, because you have eight in there and Rubio there, is Gordon going to hit enough of his threes for it to be a fit? But I also feel like you could say the same thing about Kelly Oubre Jr. a little bit. Uh, and Gordon can give you some backup minutes at the five when Aiton's not on the court. I actually really like, I've been a very big proponent of, I think that Gordon would be a great fit in Phoenix. And that's been met with, um, from many people with disdain. So I will say that. No, I don't, I have no disdain for that. I just feel like, uh, I, no, I think, you know what, I think Gordon is a significantly better player than Oubre. He's different. Um, and I think what you're saying is, like, you need the right version of Gordon, who uh, is kind of doing less, trying to be like an on-ball scoring type of threat, which if you have Devin Booker on your team, I don't think, I think it'd be, And Rubio, too, even. Like, he really just hasn't played with these, uh, you know, there's Vooch, who's your number one option, but he hasn't played with a wing or even a guard who really commands the floor. Um, Markel Fultz might be the closest he's come or Evan Fournier, like one of those two. Yeah. So like he hasn't, they've almost, they've tried to groom him as a wing. I feel like out of necessity and we're in Phoenix. They don't need him to be that, that type of player. And look, the passing that he showed this year in Orlando, like, yeah, that, that could be a help, but I, I really, for some reason, just looking at what he can do defensively, he shot a little bit better on his catch and shoot threes toward the, on the latter half of this year. I just feel like Phoenix could end up being a, a really good fit for him. And I think even if you think Kelly Oubre Jr. is better right now, which is fine, uh, I've Gordon would be the higher upside play for me just because of what he does for the Suns defensively compared to, to Kelly Oubre. If you looked at like the Google analytics of players mentioned in trade speculation, would Aaron Gordon be like, he's probably behind Beal and Holiday and Oladipo now, but I think Gordon's the top five. I think every team is going to be like, you know, they could talk themselves into him like being the missing piece or at least like the starter that really fills a bunch of needs. I feel like he fits almost anywhere, especially because his salary is very reasonable. Right. And, but he's also like the level of divisive that Bradley Beal definitely isn't. And maybe Oladipo is there, but like you still say, Oh, we know he's an all-star level player. You don't know that about Gordon. And then there are some people who might say, you know, they're the two sides of the fence. Oh, two years and $34.5 million on a declining scale. Like, that's fantastic. And then other people are like, oh, two years and $34.5 million for someone who might not be a top 75 player in any given season. Is that is that really worth it? And so there's like that element of division there that doesn't necessarily exist for many of the other most popular trade speculation targets. Hey, I have one last, uh, one last question. I have one team we haven't talked about at all. Um, and you don't need to give a long, serious answer, <laughs> but, uh, are the Rockets going to blow everything up and just like completely destroy this team, um, and trade James Harden and try to trade Russell Westbrook and just, you know, 
strip it down. Like there's a non-zero chance that happens, right? Not not likely, but like there's a scenario where like Mike D'Antoni doesn't walk and Daryl Morey doesn't walk if uh, they've been given assurances that we're going to spend, continue to spend way into the tax and keep building a winner and keep being creative and trying to build this roster out, right? Like, I th- I feel like it's going to happen, but not until next season, unless things just combust by the trade deadline and then James Harden and Russell Westbrook both just want out because I just, I don't know what the pathway to them actually blowing it up is like, you can move Tucker, you can move Covington and you could definitely move Harden. I guess that constitutes blowing it up, but I don't know that you could move Russ. And if he's healthy, like that's the pathway to mediocrity in the West. Um, And for what it's worth um, for um, Tillman Fertitta said on CNBC, the day that we're recording this, there's no reason to blow up our roster this is still our window the next couple of years. James and Russell are in their early 30s. We're not blowing up anything. We plan on contending. We're going to do whatever we have to to win. Um, we can now cut to them miraculously missing the luxury tax by like 37 cents or something exactly. like that. And you, you know what I value more than the owner who's ducked the tax like from the second he took the job uh, is Daryl Morey being like, fuck this. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I know I know he says that it was to spend more time with his family. Um I and there might have been the like the 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 Hong Kong element to this where I really do believe that this probably had to be a tough year for him just finding out like the response to the NBA and then yeah knowing he cost his boss in the league all that money for effectively saying the right thing which is just right. such a weird thing to think about uh, at the same time it's like from the moment that Russell Westbrook trade was made something just felt askew. In That's not a Mori trade. That's no. not a Daryl Mori trade. No way. No, none. And so it's in, and even if you think that he eventually would have made the Clint Capella trade, like that's a different conversation. Where do you think the Rockets would have eventually gotten a micro ball if if Russell Westbrook wasn't there? I honestly don't know. But like that, the, just the the CP three for and Westbrook decision, like that didn't feel like Mori at all. And from that moment, unless it was just that pairing, Westbrook and Harden was spectacular beyond expectation it sort of felt like the infrastructure in houston was the days there were numbered and i think even with the mike d'antoni negotiation which was known all season that he wasn't going to be back essentially uh i I don't know what that says that you lost two of the primary i don't want to say architects of your team but like the forefathers of the way that you were wanting to play like this team was built in their image before this season and now they're both just gone. And so I wouldn't rule anything out. I just think that the rock, I think Tillman Fertitta probably thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and that they're going to at least try and get by a season um, before they make that decision. Again, the, the caveat would be, does James Harden get frustrated at all? And I don't know if he, he can or will, because he had to be one of the proponents of that Russell Westbrook trade. I don't think that oh, gets done. 100%. If it's, it doesn't get done. If it's just, you know, Fertitta saying that Chris Paul's contract is one of the worst he's ever seen, which is just, Look, you don't have to like the Chris Paul contract, but that is objectively dumb. Yeah. No, I think um, a couple of things. Just giving up, you know, if it was the cost of getting Westbrook, fine. Um, but I do suspect that Sam Presti, much like he did with the Paul George situation, probably knew that Harden was like, hey, you got to go get Russ full stop. And Presti's like, oh, interesting. I'm going to extract a bunch of extra picks out of this. Um, I think that... Anytime a GM is trading picks that are like significant assets a little ways down the line, like Houston did, it's always just, it's so easy to think like, well, he doesn't care. He's not going to be there. 
right? Right. Like I think I, you know, it's just a different way of saying what you said is that the writing I think was on the wall, and now it's you know, it's just nothing remotely surprising. So I do think that when you put it all together, you've got Westbrook, whose contract is already terrible and will just only get worse and and age, and an owner who does not want to pay the tax and a highly respected coach and executive that walk. Um, I've like, I just think that the elements for a very bleak future are in place. And I think you're probably right that you've got Harden, you know, still, I think fair to say in his prime or close enough to it as to make no difference that the, 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 the nuclear explosion may not be this season, but like it's coming. Harden is not going to end his career in Houston. I don't think I, you know, that's going to come to an end at some point and it'll probably be as part of a broader, you know, just total teardown, which so there's no other way. Scenarios like this don't end any other way when you've got these massive contracts and a bunch of unrest in the front office and, and you know, that type of thing. So I, it, unrest is a wrong word, but you, you get what I mean. Yeah, look, let's not forget about the Eric Gordon extension either. Four years, $75.6 million. Uh, only three years and $54.7 million that are, are guaranteed. But that was did not look like the best decision at the time either for the team's long-term future. And it just gave off the vibes of, Oh, they did that. They threw away all these first round picks. I don't think Maury's planning on being there by 2022. And lo and behold, here we are. Yep. 100%. Grant, this was a fantastic nearly two hours of basketball discussion. Um, thank you for giving me so much of your time. I kept you for roughly double the amount of time that I thought I was going to. So the normal amount of time, I guess we could call it. Uh, everyone, please remember to not only rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and wherever else you get your podcasts if you haven't already, but also to follow Grant on Twitter at GT underscore Hughes. Grant, thank you so much again for doing this. And as always, you can rest assured that I will be pestering you again in the not-so-distant future. Looking forward to it. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.